0: and we are recording and um you, you know ed's uh mr edward lewis is here and uh i know you're a fan of the podcast we corresponded on twitter for I'd say several months and then uh started chatting offline and um yeah i think you asked like what's the gauntlet to get on like what what does one have to do to get on the podcast and uh I think you've already gone through the the two biggest tiers, and they're unofficial gauntlets. The first is that uh I'd say there's three tiers. The first is that I will constantly reschedule on you because I'm a terrible host. The second is is on the day we do it, I will constantly push it back by five minute increments or ten minute increments, wearing the patient's thin, and then third, I will normally come on and say, "Hey, I'm having some chronic anxiety today, which I've dealt with for every day for the past I don't know twelve years. And uh, at this point, if the person is still willing to come on the podcast and not wring my neck, well, then I'd say you've you've gone through the gauntlet. So, um, But before we continue the conversation we were just having, Ed, introduce yourself, my man.
1: Yeah, well, hello, Tommy. I am indeed a big fan of you. I love your show. I love following it, and it's a, an, an honor to be here. So I'm Edward, you might recognize uh my accent it's uh british and i am a, a musician and also a big believer in the blockchain
0: cryptocurrency chia yeah but how are you doing today tommy i'm good uh like i was telling you beforehand I'm having a little bit of anxiety and you asked you know what is it like for me um normally it's um it's guiding in that the times in my life when it's been the most chronic, like I said, 12 years, it started really like August 2010. And uh, that was my sophomore year of college. I had terrible grades and I had no idea where I was going. And I was partying a lot. I was drinking a lot and gaining a lot of weight, gaining a lot of weight and going nowhere fast. And that anxiety pushed me to kind of cut the shit, start studying. And ultimately I would say, In hindsight, it pushed me all the way to medical school. Um, And in that sense, it's very beneficial. took me from a a route of going nowhere fast to a route of relative success. Other times, it's not really been beneficial. Um, But I would say even up to like a month ago, it was probably beneficial. It was kind of, I can see in hindsight, and you can never see it while you're in it. You can never see the lesson being taught while you're being taught it. It's only in hindsight. And I think what it had been showing me most of 2022 is uh, cut back on the booze, cut back on the fast food. Uh, if you're not happy with your weight, stop fucking eating. Stop making excuses. You can't pull the I'm old now card because I'm friends with Delta Force guys who are 60 and could kick the shit out of me. So there are days like today where it doesn't necessarily seem to be beneficial. Like um, I'm putting away money. I'm working nonstop on the podcast, always striving for it to be bigger and better. Next month, I'm moving closer to family. I'm exercising more than ever. I'm getting perfect sleep. Uh, I I treat my, my mental health like it is the most vital health sign, not blood pressure, not whatever the fuck. I think I'm a good person. And yeah, and then there are just days like today where there's just like a rising frequency, almost like static, and you'll drive yourself mad if you try to find the source of it Because if you find the source of it and that if big if it's normally in hindsight, like oh, I'm being a bad boyfriend i'm I don't have a girlfriend but yeah, I'm being a bad whatever in a relationship. I'm being a bad friend. I I stole from somebody. I'm I'm blaming others. I'm not taking responsibilities on myself. I should be bettering myself. Or I'm or I'm doing actions that I know harm me. You know, I'm I'm someone that unfortunately for really since my concussion this past May, I've kind of learned that I just can't drink alcohol anymore. I get panic attacks the next day. Not not hangover anxiety, which is a normal thing. I mean, like, have to convince myself not to call an ambulance. So in hindsight, that anxiety is good. Then there are days like today where everything's good, everything's going up, but for some reason there's a little just kind of electricity. And instead of going mad trying to figure out what it is, sometimes you kind of just got to bite the bullet work through it and there's never a moment that you realize the anxiety has gone but there's never a big oh it's over all of a sudden you're just doing whatever putting away dishes folding laundry and you're like oh I'm not anxious anymore so that was a really long answer to your question but I hope it sufficed
1: you know, alcohol is never good is it it's uh I think it screws with your sleep so much that People who, even if they just drink like a couple of times a week, they may have never properly had deep sleep for like years and years because you sort of get disrupted.
0: It takes takes 21 days for your cerebrospinal fluid to completely go back to levels prior to consuming alcohol. So if you're like me, where I drink once a week... Yeah, it'd probably been well over a year that the actual—I don't know—fluid that my brain is soaking in <laughs> was at the levels where it should have been. That could be bro science. That might not be based on anything. But um, real quick, could you uh, could you could you explain the uh the thumbnail? Thank you a lot for thanks for a lot for this opportunity. All right, I'm 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 guessing I'm Rogan and you're Elon Musk. No, no, you're Elon Musk and Joe Rogan. Oh oh well that that's just uh now you're just kissing my ass and making me feel good but i'll take it i'm not going to turn down a compliment i thought it was i thought you were musk and i was rogan i thought we were both uh Uh, astronomical figures yeah i like it i like that more who's who i I don't really i kind of like in the second frame in the first one you have elon musk meets joe rogan written in written in red and with a uh a yellow backdrop but in the second one it's just white text with no border and it kind of looks like elon musk melts joe rogan kind of like that i kind of but i kind of like that idea it kind of seems like a, it could either be that could either be interpreted as like a like a felonious murder or a, a fucking badass like hybrid human i don't know what are your thoughts on that ed To please the youtube algorithm they're gonna have to keep going to
1: Crazier and crazier, lengths. So melting Elon Musk could be what's needed in the future.
0: Do you think that's the only way? That's the only way we're going to garner views is is to just have Musk melt Rogan. That might be that might be the only way to to get this thing going. I don't know, man. The way the world's going. Yeah. Um. So um, we chatted last week or the week before about Chia and Bitcoin, and we can definitely go into that. But you had mentioned kind of, and this is where I think actually some of the best podcasts come from, is just like a side note somebody will drop. I had on one guy, and we were going to talk about, I don't even remember what, I think it was like weightlifting for the mob. And he just casually dropped that his, uh, his, mom, his mom was a lady of the night in the 50s and 60s. And she slept with Jack Ruby, the guy that killed Lee Harvey Oswald, the guy that killed Kennedy. And I was like, wait, hold the fuck up. <laughs> what? <laughs> and I was, I was like, fuck the fuck. I don't give a shit about the mob. What the hell? And he's like, oh, yeah, no, my mom, uh, this guy's like 65. He's fucking, he's just a, built like a tank. And he's like, oh, yeah, no, my mom was a, she was a hooker. And he's like, I'm I'm okay with admitting that. Like, I love her. or Loved her. She passed on. He's like, but yeah, she, uh, for a while, she was sleeping with Jack Ruby. Just like, we have to, go, you can't gloss over that. Like, we got to, <sighs> we got to. <laughs> I know it's like a shitty overused meme, but it's like record scratch. Like, hold the fuck up, what? So when you and I were chatting, what was it, last Sunday? Um, Bitcoin, Chia, Crypto Blockchain, you were kind of explaining it all to me. You just casually dropped that on September 11, 2001. <laughs> yes, you were taking you took psilocybin and you witnessed nine eleven on psychedelics correct could you please elaborate on that because that is something that i can't just i can't just gloss over like that's
1: insane no and we've got to come back to the jack ruby i I wanted to find out more about that but yeah (laughs) digging into this (laughs) i shot lee
0: harvey oswald on mushrooms yeah uh so (laughs) (laughs) that's the real story ruby i pupils the size of just saucers walking in there singing lucy in the sky with diamonds blast shoot fucking oswald in the stomach that's like honest i wonder how far from reality that it because right it is kind of there are a couple assassinations that like do kind of make you wonder about mk ultra or project monarch right lee harvey Sure, it was sketchy, but that guy was also kind of unhinged, if you go and read about him. He really was kind of delusions of grandeur. But Ruby was, that was weird. He was like, he was kind of like a, a well-known guy in like the Dallas kind of seedy underworld. And then he just walks into a police station. Yeah. And that was yells, the building seven of. Yeah, yeah, it was. Correct. It was the Building 7 of that. It was bad, but like, and then Sirhan Sirhan, right, walks up and shoots allegedly shoots bobby at the hotel those are ones that i mean is it completely out of the realm of possibility that he was on some form of psychedelic
1: yeah i think that they condition them with psychedelics and sort of hypnosis yeah so then it's almost just like telling someone to do it i think
0: yeah that is that is insane because i mean mk comes from mind control control of the k the original i think i don't know if they barely started the experiments but it started in i want to say like auschwitz birkenau or something yeah um and then obviously we we all know about paperclip operation paperclip with rockets but i mean we brought back nazis for every program including that it's not at all a stretch to say that i mean it is but it's also not to say doing mushrooms and shooting Lee Harvey, they're probably not that independent of one another.
1: No, because they're picking out people who have got
0: malleable minds.
1: It's not like they're coming to someone like you and who's an independent thinker, but probably people who fought in wars or something have been traumatized on some level. So I guess that taking acid or something would be an escape, but then they can be manipulated. So I could fully believe that. That
0: could happen, yeah. Well, that is the idea of of MK Ultra, right? Is the idea that it's like meditation. You're supposed to go like really far inward, really far inward. And it's like if you want to manipulate the whole universe, you wouldn't like blow up planets and destroy stars. You would go down to the atomic level, subatomic, and you'd change like the gravitational constant by a decimal point. And that would ripple out to the rest of the universe. Like meditation, you kind of go deep. And then in a way, therapy is like that. It's not meditation, but in the same sense, you kind of get closer and closer to the core. And whatever the problem is, whether it's like trauma from a war or you know, childhood abuse or rape or whatever you really kind of get closer to like, it's like abandonment or it's fear of death or, and once you get to that very like bottom of the foundation, it's almost like pulling the thorn out. And then from there it ripples outwards. And from what I've read and from what I understand, the concept of MK Ultra or Project Monarch, which officially was never recognized, is that you introduce such insane levels of trauma to someone that you kind of clear the slate. And in that clean slate, you can program them. That's at least what was hypothesized. I don't know if they ever actually followed through on it. But yeah, if you didn't have a, if you didn't know what you were expecting and plan for it, like I read about psychedelics for years before I ever did it. If you didn't know that and you were just giving them, and then not only that, you weren't in a, I read about them. I went to a beautiful place out in the sun, out in the woods on a lake with a friend who I trusted and we had some alcohol in case we got too fucked up and we were, we would use that to calm down. Imagine being put in a terrible place and not even knowing what psychedelics were. And then somebody consciously trying to induce trauma that would, that would shatter your mind.
1: Yeah, when you're high on mushrooms seeing something horrible that multiplies it like a hundred so that's doing something deliberately nasty.
0: I could I So think
1: that that's what they
0: do. So 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 people don't have to keep me here keep ra- hearing me ramble because you are the guest. Could you go into like what that was like doing psychedelics on
1: 9/11? Yeah, it was entirely life-changing in a a lot of ways the way i saw the world but at the same time it's kind of very natural it didn't seem strange it it seemed like not that it was meant to be but it just seemed natural that's all i can say so when the planes were flying in i almost felt like i saw it for what it was and it, it just felt like it was sort of the fusion of movies and trauma this is the trauma-based mind control so when i look back i sort of escaped it i think because i was on mushrooms Mm -hmm. and sort of realized oh hold on a sec this the media is fake if this event is fake the media is that mind control that's what i concluded
0: that's actually a that's fascinating take is well, on one hand you have the I want to go to the natural aspect of it. That is kind of a beautiful thing. I honestly think that that weed is more anxiety inducing than LSD or mushrooms. Mm-hmm. I would always smoke weed, but I was always scared to do psychedelics. And now that I've done psychedelics, I'm like, yeah, no, weed's scarier. On psychedelics you do, uh the late Richard Alpert, aka Baba Ramdas, would talk about his guru. Neem Crowley Baba a guy who died in like the 60s <clears throat> and um, said he'd be talking to Neem Crowley Baba and Ram Das lived in India for a couple of years and helped raise money from, cause he was a Harvard professor before that. So he raised money from all his old contacts and um, helped fund over like a million surgeries in India for like a cataracts removal or something. Um, some like low technology uh, surgery that would allow farmers, people that you worked with their hands would allow them to like see up close. So instead of, you know, cause in kind of, if you're in like a backwards you know, if you're in a lower caste of a poor nation, if you're not working, like you are a burden, right? That's why a lot of them have so many kids is so that they can help feed the family. So he he funded all these, I think like 1.3 million surgeries over like a decade. Just, you know, just a good guy doing the Lord's work. And um, he asked his guru, and he was like, I don't, this is like the 60s, like late 60s. And he was like, I feel like I'm not doing enough. Like, you have the Cold War ramping up. You know, you have you have war in Vietnam. You have, you just have, you just want and slaughter around the world as the proxy armies are going against each other. And he was like, I don't know what to do. Like, it's too overwhelming. Like, I can't, I can't fight the forest fire on my own. And apparently Neem Curly Baba looked at him and goes, Ramdas, don't you see how perfect it all is? And he said at the time he was taken aback and almost kind of angry at him. He was like, "How the fuck can you say, it? look how perfect it all is?" But like forty years later, he goes, "I can, I can now see how perfect it all is. Like it's all just karma flowing perfectly. Like everyone is on this world getting the exact lesson they needed. We're using each other's karma." You're binding karma. You know, some guy that's abusing a daughter is actually, you know, he's now reliving a life where he was the abuser or he was the abused. And then now the daughter was the abuser in the prior life. And they're like doing this weird, this weird karmic dance and how like all wars, you have to have war in order to have peace. I think the quote was, you have to have hippies in order to have police and you have to have the police in order to create the hippies. It's all just like a beautiful yin yang dance. And he was like, every war and skirmish and starvation and rape, he goes, you start to see it as just perfect pieces of the puzzle. And that sounds like a very cruel thing to say. But I look back on losing a brother and, man, as bad as that was, and I would do anything to bring him back. Because I can't bring him back, I have to do the next best thing and find the good in it it has liberated me more than any psychedelic ever could it has shown me that i too will die and everyone i know will die act accordingly and i don't know if i'm putting words in your mouth but it kind of sounds like that's i i I could i can abstractly theoretically get what you're saying where it seems so natural that this would happen Mm.
1: yeah that natural feeling that when I took mushrooms, I'm, I haven't done mushrooms for a fair amount of time, but it just gave me this feeling of perspective, but it's like I could see exactly how the world was for about two hours or three hours or something. Mm-hmm. So to witness that event with that clarity, yeah, I just always remember the newscasters saying so quickly, Osama bin Laden is to blame. And I was thinking how do they know that already? The, the yeah. towers had not even fallen down uh, or, or, or they're in the process. But how do they know that? It, it doesn't make any sense. Like this is meant to be a chaotic thing. So the hypnosis is going along with the insanity, which is obviously the media. That's That's why I said on the first slide, the media is the problem. So as much as the good intentions of yourself and, the Alex Joneses, and everyone else is still 0.001% of the world's population know what's going on. Yeah. So until you can change those numbers, uh, it's like it, you, you've not fully won
0: the battle, I guess. It's almost like um, I hate scary movies and but every once in a while, I'll find myself going. Thank God for YouTube, even though, you know, even though I hate YouTube with every fiber of my being, but thank God for YouTube because it allows you to go in and just find individual clips of scary movies. Right. So you, you know, it's coming. You're not getting blindsided by a jump scare. Like you can go and you can go, quote, hide out in the comments. Right, you always see in the comments like who else is hiding out in the comments, right? And <laughs> just scrolling, like putting a thumb over the screen. You don't want to see the whatever it is, the witch or the demon. Um but every once in a while I'll go down like just a little rabbit hole. And I'll be like, Why the fuck am I doing this? Why the f and I'm doing it at three AM and I'm like, Why why am I doing this? And I'm thirty-two and I end up sleeping with like the bathroom light on and and then Sometimes I'd get kind of like fucked up, get a little drunk and watch it. And uh, I found I had like a lot more courage to watch it. I was like, you know, give me your demons. I don't give a fuck. I don't give a fuck. And then what sounds like a terrible idea, getting high and watching it, it was actually sort of like a bell curve. You, if you got high enough, you actually couldn't be scared. If you get a little bit high, you're horrified at a scary movie, but if you get way too high, sorry, my stomach's gurgling. You can't not see it as a movie. You see it as like, a, oh, there's like a director behind the screen right now. Like mm. this is a sound stage. Oh, this is really good makeup. Somebody got paid a lot of money to do that makeup they're the best in Hollywood. I wonder what their story is. They're probably watching this movie. Like, this is my best work. Like there's an actor in there. Like how many times have they done this scene? Like, you know, in between takes is the demon sitting with like the little girl or something. And they're just chatting about what, and it's like, it almost pushes you like beyond the veil. You, like you, you go up to the edge and like you, you touch what's supposed to be a wall, but instead it's just like a, like, like, like a curtain like you're like that's not solid
1: mm-hmm.
0: i would imagine four, four. this yeah i would imagine there's something like that taking mushrooms on nine eleven, 11 where y- y- you're not sucked in by the horror of planes hitting buildings and people being burned alive but rather by the absurdity of like how do they already know who did this yeah and
1: also the connections of the people you're with you know you suddenly, the bond between people that pull together, the energy of it, that's what the real feeling is in the moment. So I was with my friends because I I was in my early 20s. So it was just, it just was in perspective straight away. So there was like a natural energy. But yeah, the absurdity of knowing that, saying that Bin Laden was behind it straight away. And then when the third tower fell, this was not linked to the mushrooms that's just looking back like that is the ultimate smoking gun, yeah, building seven, building seven, building seven until everyone more or less sees that that's absurd. The battle is not won It's a good reference point, but yeah Am- amsterdam mushrooms nine eleven what else I've got a, what else came of that now, there's a, the label there.
0: Oh. <laughs> Jeez. So you've got what, the ticket or the sticker? Yeah,
1: that was the old tag that was attached to my bag. Yeah. Data time. It,
0: yeah.
1: Oh. So it's just synchronicity. So I really changed my view of the world in that period from it was because of mushrooms, I think. And I just thought the world is the media is fake, so I didn't realize that there was something even more sinister behind it all. So this was kind of the they call it the genesis story of.
0: When you say there's something more sinister behind it all, you mean there's something beyond the media just being fake? Yeah, Stanley Kubrick made
1: his final film about it. That there's a a cult, a religious cult. Oh yeah, I comprises that. Dutch monarchy, British monarchy. And then the political institution of America. Almost everyone that it's just it's Stanley Kubrick made the film. It was released in 1999 called Eyes Wide Shut. And the final interview he ever did, he talked about Icarus flying close to the sun. Uh, it's a beautiful interview. It's like he knew that he was going to die because and and the year that he uh, died, it was released. They changed the name of the award. At the ceremony, he had been just been given best director award, and they said that it was because of the the previous director's racist comments that they had to change the name of the award. And it was like the first, seemingly like the first censorship and use of that that stick, that tool to sort of silence mm. information. So they they censored Stanley Kubrick, is what they did.
0: Do you think this is a this is a case of? hiding the conspiracy in plain sight because like we all know there's right there's the military industrial complex and then even older than that there banking interests like we all you don't even have to be a quote-unquote conspiracy theorist you just you kind of got to be an adult to be like yeah what are you what are you fucking stupid of course money runs the world but do you think that this is like another level past that like i have no problem believing that like intelligence agencies hold governments hostages and presidents and prime ministers and queens and premiers and whatever they they're probably not totally in charge you have some you have a cabal of people of wildly intelligent people of military leaders just behind the stage kind of controlling each pawn and then those pawns are fighting each other so in a weird way it still kind of is independent leaders You have like the American mafia, the Russian mafia, the Chinese mafia, the the mafia, quote unquote, being the intelligence communities. But I know at least I've and I and I and I like to believe because it just seems fascinating objectively. I mean, it's evil, but it's also fascinating. The idea like there is like a cabal behind it all. I mean, what better Mm -hmm. way to kind of deny it than just outwardly put a movie about it? Right? It almost seems too ridiculous.
1: Yeah, well, Kubrick was very, very careful about... uh He kept control of final cut of his films. He had full creative control his entire career. Uh If not his entire career, most of his career. The ability to just turn up at a film studio and hand a finished film over yeah. any time you wanted yeah, was completely... You know, so his daughter has said since then that he, she almost winked at the camera and said he was very careful to keep his creative control. And it seems that he had figured out that there was a cult that was basically behind it all, and sort of went all in at the end of his career to basically show it. And so the the level of hypnosis is such that when the best director of all time released a film his final film that everyone said is one of the best films ever was released and there's a scene in it filmed at a Rothschild house yeah with other members and it why is that scene in the film if it's not really happening in real life yeah and so that is so building seven the Stanley Kubrick scene those two pieces alone should show you what's going on
0: so yeah what do you think um What do you think is, like, the conclusive thesis of... I remember the first time I... I I think I had started looking into conspiracies maybe when I was, like... I don't know, maybe, like, 15, like, right at the beginning of high school. And within, like, a year, I started going, like, what's the big conspiracy, though? Because you'd always hear about these... The JFK yeah. conspiracy, the UFO conspiracy, the World War II conspiracy, the and then eventually I'd be like, well, are these all just like these independent conspiracies? I was like, or are they all part of a a system of systems, like the big one? Yeah. And I think it's not. And so I've been trying to piece that together on and off, not with any real hopes of ever getting to the the real answer. I don't even think you'd know if you got to the real answer, because how would you confirm it? But I've been trying to put together, like, what is the thesis of theses? What is the the title of the book? Not the individual chapters. What is the, the book? You know, Harry Potter, seven books with God knows how many chapters. But it's the story of, like, the lone hero, the chosen one, the hero's journey, blah, blah, blah. Good beats evil, the end. Cool, got it. What do you think the big picture is of, of the conspiracy? Not just like CIA, not just World Economic Forum, but is it, is it multi-generational? Is it going back hundreds of years? What do you think?
1: Yeah, it is, and it ultimately it comes down to this. So the media is the problem. It's a, tiny, it's a tiny thing of control but it's a thing of control that controls like 95 to 99% of everything. And basically one family owns it. And the media is a lot more than people realize because it's also email. So people think that like the media is, uh, I don't know, (sighs) trashy newspapers, Mm -hmm. but it's everything the human eye perceives information from. So all email is definitely the media, which is, you know, Bill Gates and Google, Largely. And then all the T V has always been owned by the cult. And then when it goes back to the Battle of Waterloo, they openly said that they collapsed the stock market to buy up all the shares. Mm -hmm. And the reason they did it is because they were able to communicate a message twenty four hours earlier. That is the media. Yeah,
0: Yeah, the the right, the the that one horseman. There's like a private Yes. Yeah. Yeah. G. Edward Griffin talks about it in his book The creature from Jekyll Island yeah no they were and that's not a conspiracy the Rothschilds actually had like a spoiler alert private's always better than public they had their own private uh I guess messenger who came back from the battle of Waterloo with the results 24 hours before anybody else did and they basically did insider trading collapse you know they collapsed Great Britain and France is that correct am I getting it right
1: yeah that's exactly as I understand it is is exactly that yeah and it was because they had the that person who could travel 24 hours quicker to deliver a message but delivering messages is just what the media is so so hmm. they 400 years or sorry
0: 200 years whenever the battle of waterloo was i think it was 1815 1812 1815.
1: there you go i man with the dates there. so that what was that 2 207
0: years ago i'll, I'll look it up
1: nice one yeah that's For how long they live, that's about a person and a half. But uh, if they controlled the media back then and then they were able to buy up the city of London then as well as a multiplier, then why are they not talked about in the media in England if they're that powerful? They own the money system and the media. It's because they control the media, they can keep it quiet. So as far as hiding in plain sight, they're not really, they're hiding in the background in their own world, but then completely obfuscating their existence by controlling the very thing that you would use to find out
0: about them. Um, yeah, uh, June 18th, 1815. Um, yeah, that that's kind of an interesting way. And for people that are watching, they might think that you and I, Planned this conversation because you are you seemingly have slides that go hand in glove, but this was not planned. I don't know. I have planned this. I have slides for sure. Okay. Yeah. If I if I hit on, I'm like bingo. You just pull up the necessary. Um, or we're just we're just kind of we're just on that that vibe that that frequency. But, um. It kind of makes me think of, uh, I love the Far Cry games, and I'm playing my second Ghost Recon game right now. I played Ghost Recon, Ghost Recon Wildlands, and now I'm playing Ghost Recon Breakpoint. And people always kind of critique these games, Far Cry, Ghost Recon. It's all the same thing, right? You're sneaking around, shooting people. Yeah, I don't give a shit. I, I listen to audiobooks in the morning. I do the podcasts. I, I do all my, like, learning earlier in the day. And late in the evening, I like to turn off my brain and just, walk around some countryside with a gun in a video game and just shoot people. Like, I don't give a fuck. I don't, I don't care. Um, That being said, one thing I've always liked about these games, and it's just cause you can do some of it. It's you have this sprawling map and you have, I don't know, a hundred individual military bases and, you know, it's games are massive now. So the, the maps are just, you know, 25 by 25 kilometers. It'll take you... I it took me about two full nights of gaming just to, to walk across the map. And what I've always loved about these games is not so much the plot or the big story or the bosses or whatever. I've always loved these games in different iterations. Whether you're like the ragtag rebels or whether you're some high-speed spec ops guy with the best CIA gear. I've always loved just like walking through like a forest or on a mountain, like a like a ridge, And spotting a military outpost. And like laying down, getting binoculars or a drone, and spending like 20 or 25 minutes just looking at the whole thing, mapping everything out, tagging all the individual guys. And then you start to find out which guys are the most important. You find the snipers on the towers. Then you find the alarm system, which calls backup, like air support or other troops. And then you find like a like a power generator. And you can go in kind of guns blazing like an idiot and you'll you'll kill a couple, but they're going to wipe you out. They're going to center mortar fire on you. And even if you kill everyone at the base, there's still just endless waves of tanks coming. They just, they fuck you up. But I will never not love like the surgical, and it takes maybe 10 tries, it takes like an hour to really get it down pat, but I love just redoing it just hitting restart and just getting it to perfection. The first thing you always do, number one, alarms. Make it so that there is now a finite number of people. Make it so that they are off the map. No, The people that the on the horizon don't know that they're in trouble. Number one, take out alarms. Number two, pop the power. The whole thing goes dark. So you got to wait till night. Number three, find the snipers because those are the next best thing instead of power they can still maybe find you with thermal pop them one at a time all the while you're trying to use a silencer once you've done them it's kind of yours for the taking you can still go in guns blazing but they will fuck you up it's even better to just one by one just take them out and you don't even want to you don't even want to kill one guy standing next to another guy Because even if it's at night and you use a silenced weapon and they don't know where the bullet came from, if me and Ed are standing there and all of a sudden my head explodes, Ed turns and goes, fuck, they got another one. You want to get the stragglers that go out one at a time. And finally, you can bring a base that is, you know, 500 meters by 500 meters with its own power plant and tanks and airfield and gunners and tanks and, and mortars. You can bring it down to its knees, to where there's just a couple of guys running around terrified, and then just, pew, 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 and it's yours. And then you go in and loot the whole base. I just love it. I love the the, sur- the surgical breakdown of it. But when you, you said, you the, "Go on," if
1: you think the Roth, if you think the Rothschilds are going to give that base up that quickly, I think you're wrong.
0: Well, no, So, but what I was saying is, is, no, it's actually more out of like a respect your enemy. When you said, you know, they delivered a message on a horse, and that really is, that's the media, is conveying a message. What's the very first, in this entire scheme, what's the very first thing you do? Take out the alarms so they can't notify others. So what's the very first thing you control? If you wanted to go against my surgical takedown, the first thing you would make is you'd make the alarms bulletproof. Because it's normally like a big box. You see it? It's just like, a, you know, it's like labeled yeah. with the alarm, like in real life. But if you really want to prevent my whole takedown, you would just make that a bulletproof box or put it underground. And then my whole thing's fucked. Now, inversely, let's say you and I are the bad guys running the base, the Rothschild's base. Yeah, that box is going to be behind three brick walls in an iron safe buried underground with backups. That is the media Control the message.
1: Absolutely.
0: Sorry for that uh, That incoherent rambling. Uh, I have, <laughs> this is why
1: I love you. I love your show. Is Thanks, man. The way that you can explain things with deep introversion, but I explain it in a meaningful way, I get something from it. So yeah, it's, it's an you. honor to be here. Yeah. No, I, you've, you've exactly nailed it. I think that when you talked about the thesis of it all... I think the media is a problem, but what they have done, and I think it's maybe when I first messaged you this idea that the more that you ban people, the more that you kind of push all their energy together in a strange way, like almost like cream coming did, together.
0: I've, I've cited you before on this podcast, before I ever even remembered it was oh. you that said that. I've, I've brought that up before, the cream to the top. I remember the first yeah. time you sent me that. It was probably like February of this year. And I saved it because I was like, Oh, I was like, that's a badass idea. Could you explain it to people? Because I I genuinely love it. I do, it's in my repertoire of like tools I use. Excuse me. <clears throat> Tell you what, let
1: me dig it out on my computer. If you could just
0: sure, explain yeah. your version yeah. of it and
1: I'll I'll find
0: it. So the way I interpreted it, and maybe it's completely incorrect and Ed's about to to shit on my fantasy. But the way I interpreted it is like, um uh well there it is. Is let's say I'm on YouTube, which I was on from December 12th, 2019, till August 29th, 2021, right? YouTube, two billion users. You're sharing the same channels as Joe Rogan, Donald Trump, and Pootie Pie. Like you're not. You're you're going in there. It's David versus Goliath. When you get banned, it sucks because you lose access to that two billion person market. But I had five thousand subscribers. That's not a whole lot. When I get kicked off and I have to go to Rumble which I would imagine is probably at like 2 million users. That's based on nothing, but I'm going to assume it's probably around 2 million, one 1,000th. 1, and I now have 12,000 subscribers. So although, my, although the market is one 1,000th 1, the size and my subscribers are double, I am now holding roughly, roughly 2,000 times more of a share of the market. And so you now kind of, you stick out more and you're actually kind of getting more than more than you deserve, right? If I go, uh, I'm I'm five nine on a good day. If I went and tried to play in the NFL, I I would probably be killed on like the first play. But if I go and play in college, I'm probably still going to get killed. And I will probably won't do that well in high school either. Maybe not even middle school. But if you put me on a field with a bunch of kindergartners, I'm going to be the best in the nation. <laughs> you're going to see me and and it's you're going to see me on sports center because relatively I'm going to be the guy that scores 20 touchdowns a game um you know I'm just undefeated I win the championship 4 years in a row I'm just killing toddlers on my way to the end zone I am going to get a share of of airtime because people are going to be like look how good this guy is even though guys who are much better than me at that same sport are not getting the airtime because relatively to their own arena of, of competitors, they're not doing extraordinarily better, but I am doing a ton better. And now I get a ton of attention and thus I might actually get catapulted to a much higher realm of, of competitive football than I deserve because being put in such a, a, Poor pool or a lower pool, you stick out more. Now, that's a really cocky thing to say. But when I first saw this image that you send me, that if people aren't, you should watch, I'm not going to explain it, just watch. Yeah, I got kicked off to much smaller platforms, but I'm also not dealing with nearly as much competition. And so that now, I am now the, I'm now getting in a boxing ring with like two year olds. And I'm going undefeated. And sure, maybe it's morally questionable, but like I'm undefeated. I'm kicking the shit out of toddlers. I am now going to get more attention on my podcast than had I not been banned from the two billion person market. Is that correct, or am I just a, a total psychopath?
1: Yeah, that's pretty much it. The, the more that they, they, they the, the more that they have. Used MK Ultra on you. They've. Uh, this is all part of the mind control. But yeah, you, you're creating a critical mass of influencers and thought people, really more than anything, by banning people. You know, maybe say if they banned you off Rumble, let's just say, like, do you not think that I'm going to find out where you are next? Like, of course I am. Like, yeah. I, I will. Every time that you get banned, you specifically, Tommy, because obviously I, I have a connection. I like your show. I, like. It could be like, well, we're only going to do the podcast like live from Australia once a year. It won't be broadcast, but I'll just stand over in a corner. I would probably go for that. Do you know what I mean? If if I wanted to for that meaningful thing. So people will dig the information out. So by thinking they can censor people, they've just essentially simmered. Let's just say that the good minds. It's. I don't mean it like other sure. people aren't good minds, but oh, I get it. let's just say the, the out of the box thinkers. it sort of simmered them down, and they're just getting more and more visible as to what their message is because the platforms they're on are smaller. So, yeah, it's like what you said, and uh, I think that's where we're at now.
0: And I do think it's. I do think it's good, you know. I hate it, and I would like immediate success. But there also is like it does sharpen your resolve when you keep getting banned and shadow banned and silenced and kicked off. It does make you work hard. Now you might just throw in the towel and say, fuck it, I'm not doing this anymore. But if you do stay with it, you start to you start to fine hone yourself in a way that you normally wouldn't. Like getting banned from youtube i was like i just have to step it up a notch and then six months went by and i was like i have to step it up another notch and now a year and two months has gone by and whenever i think i can't push it further i find myself going you just have to push it further and when the views on rumble started getting froggy like two months ago and they're still kind of froggy it kind of feels like they're messing with it you can cave or you can start uploading to more platforms. You can start trying to get bigger guests. You can start working longer days. In a way, it is a gift. It's a, it's pushing you against... I had a buddy named... I still have a buddy named Ivan. Six foot four, bodybuilder, looks like the Terminator. Every <clears> girl <throat> wants to fuck him. Every guy wants to be him. It just sucks. It just sucks. But he's the nicest guy in the world. You, you just want to fucking hate him, but he's perfect. He's beautiful, but he's also just like the sweetest guy in the world. And uh, I remember he came in. He's a professional bodybuilder. He lives out in Vegas. And in 2015 or 2016, he came in just when he got his citizenship. uh, He came and lived with me for like a month in Georgia. And uh, we went to the gym every day together. And at that point, I had been working out for like 12 years. And I was in a bit of a bad spot. It was two years after my brother died. So I wasn't working out as hard as before. But the point is, is he would push you so much farther than you thought you could go. And I know it sounds cheesy, but I mean, really, like, you might tell yourself, I can go work out hard for 30 minutes. And if I really had to, if I was trying to impress a girl, I could maybe work out for 45 minutes. But Ivan would bring you over on a Monday morning, and you guys would go at it for two hours. And he would, it's always stuck with me. He would push you, and it wasn't even uncomfortable. You just, you'd leave there going, I didn't even know I could do that. They he unlocked this potential within you. And that's how I try to look at this, is whenever I think I can't sharpen the podcast more or find a, a another platform or find a means to evade their censorship, it pushes on me harder. And then you just have to keep evolving yourself. So, I don't know, in a weird way, it is kind of a blessing. I don't
1: know. Yeah, technology keeps changing. So if you keep just being fractionally ahead of the curve of technology, that's the key. And that's what you've done. You know, you've got set up on Rumble and now Russell, Brandon, those sort of people are setting up nervously on Rumble because they can sense that they're the ones about to be banned on YouTube. Yeah. So you're now a, a trendsetter.
0: I also kind of hate how People are like, they're so brave, they're leaving YouTube now. Like, motherfucker, I've been kicked off for 14 months. Like Russell Brand's thinking about it was in the news the other day where hey, I got nothing against Russell Brand, the more the merrier. And ultimately it will help me if bigger and bigger creators come over because they'll pull over followers. That being said, people are like, he got a suspend he got a strike when he announced that he was gonna go do an exclusive interview with Rumble. Everyone's talking about the fight of sense, and it's like what? You got? You got one strike because you threatened to bring your six million followers over to another platform. Like motherfucker, I've been banned for a year. I don't know. I don't. I don't want to. I. Th- I think I'm just going to get angry and start yelling. So let's maybe veer away from that. But I don't know.
1: Do you think that you would rather have, say, two million people every? episode listening going up to 3 and 10 or would you rather have say going down to 30 and 50 there are increasingly more and more interesting
0: and important listeners probably the latter you'd probably want the more the more resolute crew of listeners there's definitely like um there's definitely some ego in this um you know, like when I was pre-med and I would study non-stop and I would score a 99 and the class average would be a 50. It wasn't enough that, and it's not like that meme, like it's not enough that I succeed, others must fail. It's not bad. I don't take any pleasure in anybody else failing. To me, it was just, it wasn't enough that I got an A. I had to know that that I was not only doing better, but that I was doing the best. I had to know that because if you're studying ten hours a day, seven days a week, and you only kind of do better than the guy that's like partying all the time, then you just feel fucking stupid. So like I wanted some, I wanted to have something to show for my work. And what was so upsetting about it is studying for the MCAT for nine months or ten, whatever the fuck it was, uh, September 2012 to May. June 2013 I couldn't get above like the 50th or 60th percentile for 9 months of taking all these practice tests. And some people are like, dude, that's like a solid that's like enough to apply. But I was like, I don't want like enough to apply. I don't I don't want to just oh, you you got to be you passed like no, I was I knew I was putting in more work than anyone else. And like I want I wanted for myself to see that I was achieving more than the average person. And I finally broke through in like the final seven days of studying. I just I just like pushed through like the bubble burst and I just fell through and I ended up scoring in the ninety fifth point six percentile. And I was proud of that. I still wish I did better, but the reason I say that is is like to me, the idea of this podcast being successful is getting ten million subscribers to me, that's like a respectful number. A million is still cool, but there are some shitty channels that have a million. A hundred thousand is i mean again a good a good benchmark but it's not what I want. There's definitely some ego in this and that it's not just money or not just whatever the fuck. Like, I know I'm putting my heart and soul into this. I know I study whenever I have like a book on, I have a guest on to talk about their book. I, I fucking study it like I am taking a test. <sighs> yeah. Always, always non-negotiable. You get eight hours of sleep. You go to the gym. You you meditate. You just, you show up every day like it's the fucking championship. And I've been doing that for 936 episodes. And yeah, I mean, Dr. Malone, Dr. McCullough, they got, I interviewed them months before Rogan did. Multiple times before Rogan did. And like, there is part of me that like, it's not enough that I just, pass the test i have to know for my own sanity that that i was studying for a 95th percentile grade does that make sense yeah so is it more important to have done the work or more important to get the outcome the two, what i'm getting at is is the two have to be intertwined if you just get the outcome and didn't really work that hard i don't think it's as sweet And if you do just, if you just do the work and get an okay outcome, that's very bitter. I want, and who knows, maybe there's something deeper than that. Maybe that is me just trying to make sense of an absurd universe, trying to find, maybe it's not even successful podcast. It's just some weird yearning for logic, right? If you do work A, you get product B. Who knows? Maybe this is just like a deeply like philosophical thing. I have no idea. I don't give a shit. I want it to work. I don't care if I never meet someone that watches the podcast. It always is a pleasure, like meeting someone like you. It always is a pleasure to meet someone that's like, dude, I fucking love the podcast. I'm, that, that makes my day, and it never won't make my day. But every new subscriber from here on out could be someone that I never meet, and I'm fine with that. Like, I have to know that I produce this, and I produce something that was worth it, and something that showed my work. I don't want to just put in the work and, like, do okay. And I never enter something with the mindset of just doing okay. To me, that, that is a form of torture, is to just get a passing grade. I'd rather not do it at all, or I'd rather fail. And I'd rather be the best failure there is. I'd rather get a perfect 0% on the test. Like, if I'm going to fail, I want to be the best failure. That's what this is to me. And I I don't... And then who knows where that... I love how Ed had no idea, but he's just acting as my impromptu psychiatrist right now. But I don't know if there's even like a deeper thing. Is it my own like self-worth? Is it a lack of self-love? Am I trying to gain my own approval from myself or from something abstract? Like instead of a relationship or a friendship, I'm trying to get human traits from an inhuman podcast or... I'm I'm relating subscribers good to point. approval. It might be it I, might, it could be just when nothing. interacting with technology. Yeah, I might be trying to find a human trait in something that is in. I might be trying to get blood from a rock. I might be trying to find that's love and approval from a podcast, which is retarded.
1: Yeah, it's a really good point that uh, when you deal with screens all the time, you feel like to deliver a message, you have to do it through the screen. But that's like about. You know,
0: a hundred obfuscations straight yeah. away. You could just walk up to someone and say yeah. hello <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, right? It's like those guys that just chase money forever. And I have nothing against money. I'd like a ton of it. I'm not I'm not a I'm not a dirty communist. But like I think it was Tim Dillon, the comedian who I love, who makes like a quarter million a month off Patreon. And if you go back and listen to his podcasts between like 2016 and 2019, they're fucking hilarious. Cause he's just so angry. He's overweight. He's in a shitty apartment. And if you go back and listen to him, even at that time, you go, this guy's funnier than anyone I've heard. And it's funny because he knows he's funnier than anyone. And he's like, but I can't fucking make a dollar. And he's just giving like bus tours in New York city on the side and then he fi- he gets on Rogue and then he goes on to become just like, he- now he's just worth millions. But um, it's so funny going back and listening to that anger because it's real. But he talks about, he goes, you know, he's talking to his friend who's also a comedian. He goes, if you ever catch up, he goes, I'm not saying you won't. You probably will. So like, you're a funny guy because his friend's fucking with him. He's like, I'm going to catch you one day, Tim. And he goes, you will. He goes, just don't be surprised at how much it sucks when you get here. And to me, that was such a a profound statement because he's like, the money is fun. The first time you stay at like a five-star hotel or he's like, you buy like a Bentley or whatever. And he goes, it gets old. But then he goes on to kind of like a liberating way. Actually, he goes, um, eventually you start seeking out relationships like genuine relationships, loving, or he's a gay guy, but he's like, I'd lo- one day I'd like to get married and or you know and adopt a kid, and he's going on and on, and he goes, and I've had glimpses of it, glimpses of it before, where I have a relationship that's not just sex, or not just like fame based, where people are like, oh, I know you, and he goes, and when you have those moments of just. Being with someone that appreciates you for you and you appreciate them for them. He goes, You can't help but chuckle that you used to look for this feeling in a Netflix special or in a, or in a novel. And I it's the mind control. I can't help but think one day I'll find something and go, Oh, I was looking for this feeling in a podcast. How fucking stupid am I?
1: I don't know, it's man. It's a very, really good point. What might happen is you might meet someone from the podcast oh, r- that's randomly. A that's a good point. You just don't know. Like the energy is sort of people, somewhere way or another, are tuned to your energy. So they're going to dig you out on another platform or, or whatever. So you just don't know what's going to happen in the future. Like the the ripples and in the, in the waves and stuff. Like, who knows? They say that uh, there's these. I read a book a few years ago. Something it was called Giant Waves or something, but it's basically about the phenomena that in the ocean there's just every so often a giant, massive, like fifty, a hundred meter yeah, rogue wave. Yeah,
0: have you heard of this? I've heard. I, I've heard of rogue waves. I don't know about the documentary you're talking about or book.
1: Yeah, just that really. But it just seems weird. Like, why is still sea and then suddenly a giant wave? But that could have just been started by like a fingertip really because it has to start somewhere. So who knows what ripples of energy you've sent around and might come back. That's a great point, actually.
0: Like, like who, like think about like the iceberg that sunk the Titanic, like what led to that iceberg being there? And like, Amongst other icebergs, I'm sure it was just another iceberg. But, like, who was on Titanic? Wasn't there uh, a Vanderbilt, uh, an Astor? A-S-T-O-R? There are some huge, like, movers and shakers of Wall Street. And then the conspiracy is, is that they were killed off. But, like, even if that wasn't a conspiracy, you're an iceberg, and then you end up dramatically shifting, like, the makeup of the power elite of the most powerful city on the planet. Like, I I don't know.
1: Seems an elaborate way to assassinate someone, build the biggest ship.
0: But yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, that was the idea is that because it sank, sank a little over a year before the creation of the Federal Reserve. It sank in April 1912. The Federal Reserve was, I think, October 1913. The idea is like those were guys that weren't signing on board with it. But that's, you know, it's a convenient conspiracy, right? Yeah. Build the biggest. How the fuck would you ensure that they're there? Yeah, I'm not entirely on board with the Titanic conspiracy, but
1: there was a woman, like a nurse who who was on the, the sister ship that also sank. The was some. Yeah, have you heard that? She was like on both. She survived she both sinkings. Oh, gee. It was something like that. Yeah. Oh, dude, that's like that poor guy <laughs>
0: that fled Hiroshima. <laughs> and went to go stay with family in nagasaki did he yeah that's fucking terrible he survived both that's no awful yeah uh, a woman who was i think just below the impact of the plane crash in like the north or south tower survived and then um do you remember that plane crash in new york only like a couple months after 911 Kind of gets covered up because not covered up, but people forget about it because nine eleven was so huge.
1: But like a plane went remember. down
0: in like suburban New York in like January two thousand two or something, and like killed everyone on board, and she was on there.
1: Right, that was it. Suspicious?
0: No, no. I mean, it was it was a tragedy. No, nothing suspicious about it. Um, there was a girl who survived the Columbine shooting who I think also survived the Virginia tech shooting like 15 years later. I don't know. These are kind of, these are kind of depressing. I don't know where we're going with this. Yeah.
1: Well, the joy of life, it's better to survive these (laughs) horrendous sinkings and
0: shootings and whatnot. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. Hey, Hey, Ed, can you, uh, do you think you can monologue for like 30 seconds? I got to go, go use the restroom.
1: Yeah, sure. I will. I will modestly put you over.
0: Welcome to EdCast.
1: Yeah. Okay, well, it's an honor to be here. Perhaps I will go back to this. So thank you to Tommy. Thank you to Tommy. Thank you to Tommy. I have been inspired by Tommy and his show. And it was on Tommy's show that I first saw... Dr. Matthias Desma interviewed with Dr. Robert Malone after seeing Dr. Robert Malone on Joe Rogan. And I was like, oh, wow. Uh, Matthias Desma is a psychologist. Dr. Malone was the inventor of the vaccine. And the conversation they had was just eye-opening. It changed the way I saw things a little, confirmed what I was thinking. And that's all thanks to Tommy. So... I, I kind of realized that what had happened, the media had essentially had changed and the cream had risen to the top. Uh, Tommy is the new generation, so it's it's an honor to be here. So, yeah, I, should I keep praising him? I wonder if he's listening to this right now. Does he know I'm praising him? But, yeah, Tommy is... Tommy's the man. That's all I can say. He's a fantastic, introverted, brilliant mind, great leader, intelligent, just a fantastic person. I don't know what else to say. I could just keep saying he is wonderful, one of the best ever in the world ever, and his name is Tommy High Five Kerrigan.
0: (laughs) Hey! Fuckers! Um, So... And I got another podcast in like twenty minutes, so worries, my man. It's been an honor. Um, no, no, let's, let's 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 run let's run the clock out. Um, how did you find this podcast, and where do you see it go? Because I have all of my own ideas, mm-hmm. but it's also like, um, I don't know. Sometimes people ask me like, how do I find guests, and I'll just show them. Like, oh, I just Google their name and try to email them. And like, really? Like, I think you have a whole team. I'm like, nope. I just or they'll have to like, like, how do you? I'll show them like my little studio room. Like that's it. I'm like, yeah, that's it. And like, I see it because it's the back end that I see, like the creation point. But on the flip side, like I don't, I can never see how it's received because the one common denominator of every episode is me, so I can never see an episode. That I haven't seen before. Does that make sense? So, yeah. How, how, like, how do you receive it, and like, where do you see it going, and how did you find it?
1: Yeah, i I found it because of your interview with Doctor Malone and Doctor Desmet after the Joe Rogan show, and because Doctor Robert Malone said mass formation psychosis. I was like, oh. Oh, I had been hypnotized too. It is psychosis. And I realized I was in a different state of it. But I followed him over to your show because I just saw Dr. Malone interview. And then I saw that he was with Dr. Desmond here. So this was like a triangle relationship. It was the doctor explaining his theory to a young, thoughtful introvert who was trying to find the answer. There was nothing in your face. There was nothing in your body language that said you were not being genuine it's very important. That's why Joe Rogan is so good because you know, he's genuine. You can see his body language up close. Same with you. So I feel it's honesty. So hearing Dr. Malone and Desmond talk, I was like, okay, that is what's been going on. That is what the media has done. Algorithms did that deliberately through programming. So the use of algorithms is a sort of human, uh, what's the word like crimes against humanity, I think, is what the algorithm has been used for. But uh, Going back to the darkness, sorry, I, I was I then coming back to your and where you're going is I just think that people want to hear you talk and interview and ask questions. So wherever the technology goes, as long as you're doing that, I think that the technology will guide it.
0: I got you. Just keep doing what I'm doing and the rest will kind of figure itself out.
1: I think so. People are going to reach out to you. So if you ask the right questions, you're going to get guests on that want to tell you more. And if you sort of carve the shape of the ice out, you're just going to make your own shape based on it. So everyone's shape is different. But yeah, I think that with blockchain technology and I advocated for Bitcoin for Chia, I think that NFTs are something that uh perhaps i could throw a slide up here sure so yeah to summarize it all i think if you wanted to focus on a couple of key points you could look at chia's nft one platform their data layer and also decentralized identities good to have a look at that and uh, i think that I've seen some of your digital art. I mean, I would love to buy that myself. So if you ever sold that as an NFT, you'd have at least one buyer. But right. I think that, yeah, I think that's the direction it's all going.
0: And this is something. And I guess we'll 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 use the last like 15 minutes to do this, and we'll, we could kind of uh dovetail this into another episode. Um, could you explain to me and the listener, and for anybody listening. No, this is not planned, and no, I'm not getting anything from this, and I don't think you're getting anything from this. What is, is, to a layman like me, to a knuckle-dragging layman, what the hell is Chia? Yeah,
1: Chia is... Can I just get a glass of water? Oh, yeah, go for it. It's it's
0: but two meters away, but I feel I need to... go, Go grab it, go grab it. Yeah, so for anybody listening, um, Ed's tried to explain this to me before, and I am admittedly a, a, a crypto blockchain Neanderthal. Um, I think I theoretically get the idea of it, um, but I'm humble enough to acknowledge that I am i don't think I fully grasp it, and that's why I don't fully grasp its potential or implications. Um, but if it seems to be this is something that you are well-versed in. And it is something I'd like to do a full podcast with you about. What, what is, so like all of that, all all of that's gibberish to me. Like Chia NFT one platform data, like that, that means nothing to me. And that's not an insult of it. And that's not a critique of it. That is, that is, if you and I went to like a laser energetics lab and they started reading back atomic spectroscopy to us, we kind of both be nodding, like, what does this mean? And they'd be like, oh, we're gonna cure your cancer. We'd be like, oh, perfect, okay. But if you start telling me like the wavelengths of, of aldehydes and ketones, I'd be like, dude, I don't fucking it's been fifteen years since I took OCHEM. I don't what in God's name are you trying to tell me, right? Can yeah, no, you it's it's really it to good
1: me? you've highlighted it because like i I thought I had highlighted the key points in the slide I made here, but it's clear that the key terms that they've got don't mean much to people. So that's that is good to know. Essentially, Chia is like Bitcoin too. That's what essentially it is. So, with how sort of how much Bitcoin helped with uh, digital gold, Chia is someone else's vision of uh, basically fixing all the problems of blockchain. So, Chia is the most decentralized blockchain on Earth, and because it's decentralized, it means it can't be closed. Easily. it Basically, it can't be. So it's just like Bitcoin. Any value stored on it is mathematically certain to be stored forever. And yeah, it's one year old. And they've just launched their NFT platform, which is the way you can sell art or maybe moments, or perhaps you could sell a story or maybe a one-page piece that you sell as an NFT and only the person who buys it gets to see what you wrote. So it could be your thought of the day, but only the, the subscriber who buys that NFT does it. With Patreon, you go through Patreon, the payments, the credit card, the the censorship. This is not censorable. There's, nothing can happen to stop you having access to this blockchain and this art that you sell. Nothing can ever take it away from you unless you maybe lose your password. That could that could take it away. But yeah, it's uncensorable, highly decentralized and cutting edge technology.
0: So what would happen if I did give you one of like the because like, I do post like my old anyone that follows on Twitter or something, I post like the old digital art I used to make between like twenty seventeen and twenty nineteen when I was really into graphic design what happened if I just took one of those and gave it to you and told you to like go wild? It's like, what, what actually just out of curiosity, like what happens?
1: Yeah. Well, you could sell it yourself from a computer by pretty much uploading it. And it would create an NFT. And likewise, you could create an NFT and send it to me as a gift, but you can put it up for sale. I know that, uh, Ed Snowden's first NFT sold for five and a half million dollars. He sold one for five and a half million dollars, oh, f- and he get he gets royalties on top of every resale. So if someone buys it for ten million,
0: he might get another twenty percent again. So do I need to hold off onto the pod until the podcast gets more well known, and will that increase the value? Because right now people buy prints for like 5 bucks on uh on fineartamerica.com or like shopify do i need to wait until the podcast is more successful and then No, really I I don't it?
1: think so. I mean, you because it's so early, you'd be the kind of uh you'd be the let's just say you'd be like the first celebrity who's selling art and NFTs on the platform, so you would be the first media member, the first person who's like got his own brand essentially so it in that sense it's early so there'd be no reason to wait but by the same token i wouldn't recommend rushing in because a lot of people might sell nfts thinking oh i should just sell something quickly but why are you selling it you're trying to make money or so but your art is so good that uh whether you would sell it as an nft or just I think your art is brilliant. So Thank it's you. good to be aware of it. Yeah. How did you do it? I, w- I wanted
0: to ask how you even did it. Uh, I taught myself on, I taught myself on an iPhone four, like right when I moved home. So August, 2016, two and a half years after my brother died. And I was just kind of at the bottom of the barrel. I moved home. I was 600 miles from all the friends i had made over the previous 15 years including my girlfriend. I was just in a bad spot mentally, physically. So I was just kind of stranded at home, entirely by my own doing. And uh, I'd never fucked with graphic design before, but I downloaded the the app uh, Photoshop Mix. I don't think it's even on the App Store anymore. But it was a free app, and there's only a handful of things you could do. But, like, a good tool, if you can just figure out how to use it, you can really do anything. And just for shits and giggles, I would just make stuff. And, uh, you know, a year went by, two years went by, and I was actually kind of getting good. And every once in a while, I'd, like, make a design for somebody, and they'd give me, like, 10 bucks. And finally, my my mom and dad bought me, like, an iPad in, like, 2018 or something. And the, the, the processing power was just, like, 100 times that of my iPhone. And so I started using like the little stylus, like the pencil with a huge, you know, 12 inch screen. And I could just really see what I was doing. And I could work with uh, 8192 by 8192 pixel images. And what I would do is I would, I would really never plan anything. I would just kind of like, it was, it was very philosophical. It was almost like, like Taoism or Taoism. You would just kind of like follow the, the middle line. And like you just some things would just feel right. And like so I found like a a really high resolution image of uh King Tut's golden mask. And I was just looking at it, I was like, yes, I'm just gonna like cut it out like perfectly. And I was, so I'd go in down to like the pixel. And it would take me like two days, but I'd perfectly really? cut out images. Oh yeah, I just I'll put on an audiobook. And that's kind of the early things where I started listening to a ton of audiobooks was I didn't know what else to do. And I would go in and make it. And then I'd have like a, what am I going to do with it now? And sometimes I would change the color on it. And, but for instance, that one, I was just like, it wasn't perfectly symmetrical. And so I didn't know what to do with it. So the only thing that was perfectly symmetrical to it was itself. So I would just copy and paste it. And then, so I kind of started just making puzzle pieces out of it. And I made like a circle and I was like, that's cool. And then I just kind of did it again and again and again. And it started to take on this weird, and then there's just always this moment when you're making it where all of a sudden it starts to come together and you're like, Oh, I got this idea. Like I made like a, like cherubs covered in tattoos. Like I was watching this old video on like Mac Miller about, you know, he died when he was 27. And I, th- well, I think that was 2017 or 2018. And I was just looking at his tattoos and I was just, I just remember thinking like he was so young and I just had this idea of like, what if, and then there's like a famous music video of him where the first one minute is actually like a home videotape of him singing when he was like five years old. And it's like so sad to go back and look at because now you're like, you see him, his parents are videotaping him. And he's like five years old and he's rapping. I think the song is Best Day Ever. And then it leads into like him in current day. You know, he's just this huge fucking rapper and he's got millions of dollars and he's just got these sick beats. But it's really sad to watch because you see him as this little kid. Uh, I think a lot of it was like, I saw my own brother. Like I, I, I get it. My brother was 27 and then I started thinking of like, they are still just these little babies. And, and then I started thinking of like, just like the angelic cherub. And so I started taking like high resolution images of like Mac Miller's tattoos and like Post Malone and start overlaying them on a cherubs and giving them like guitars and stuff. And, Like, what would it be like if the Sistine Chapel was instead like modern day, like SoundCloud rappers and all other stuff? I made one of like the Vitruvian Man, Da Vinci's Vitruvian Man, and I cut that out and then I kind of pieced them together. And as I zoomed out, I realized I was making like a retina, like an eye. And so it got into this weird like symbology shit and I was trying to turn it into an eye. And then I took the alphabet from uh, the Disney movie Atlantis from like the 90s. And I just like wrote something, some like Buddhist like chant, like no mind, no body, no life, no death. I don't know why. I just did it. It just felt good. And like um, speaking of Stanley Kubrick, one of the favorite ones I made is a design that I wanted to be a snowboard. Nobody ever picked it up. But it was a long rectangular canvas, like 2,000 by 10,000 pixels. And at the bottom, it starts as like uh, an ape. And it's like screaming. You see like saliva coming out of its mouth. And behind it are uh, DNA molecules, and with uh, cave paintings that I actually got high resolution scans from, like a a cave in France, like with the earliest cave paintings, and I like superimposed them on there. And then as you go up, the cave paintings slowly turn into cuneiform, the first written language, and then as those go up, they turn into more modern modern symbols, and then like the DNA strands turn into like the moon, right? Two thousand one, Space Odyssey. And then the moon turns like all black, and then it's just like little stars in the inky blackness. And then even that goes to pure black. And at the top is just the red dot from Hal Nine Thousand. And it's like the progression of man. And I think I tried to get like a snowboard company to buy it, and they're like, if they're like stop emailing us, like this is harassment. But like the point is, I never had a plan for any of it, and I think that's where I draw a lot of my guidance for this podcast is like you just have to do it and it kind of feels right. And it's not until you're like 90% of the way through that you see the big picture, but you can't see the big picture until you're 90% of the way through. So it's this weird catch 22. There's a quote and we'll finish up on this, but there's a quote I found, I think like last week that I really like or the week before, I don't know. And it's uh. The irony is, is that you will not be ready until you've already done it. And to me, I think there's more in that than I can even fully unpack right now. You won't have the courage. You won't be ready to do it until you've already done it. And then you don't have to do it. At
1: which point it will be too late. Yeah, or you'll be done. So it's like so don't so don't do it at all. It's not worth it don't do it at all, or don't wait at all. Just go. Just go, Um, because time is against you. It's a beautiful thought to end.
0: Yeah. As I've reached a point where I, like, finally don't get nervous before I do podcasts anymore, I've done 900 of them. Like, I'd wanted to make a podcast starting like, 2015, and I was like, well, no, I'm not ready. I don't know. And it's like, no, by the time you start doing them, you're fine. I'm finally ready to start doing podcasts after 936 episodes. God, oh, like you're so good at them.
1: Like, what will you be like after 2,000?
0: Do you think you'd get nervous with any certain guests Then I still get, I still get nervous sometimes. I had on a very rarely, I had on Rick Prado, a CIA paramilitary officer. He's like a legend. I had him on on Thursday or Wednesday of last week. That was one I got nervous for. Um, Very first time I had on Dr. Malone, episode 495. I was nervous for that. Um, Probably only like five episodes I've done. I get nervous before. But then the anxiety goes away as soon as the podcast starts.
1: That's weird, isn't it? That is strange. Yeah, I think I, I have the same thing. Yeah, never, ever, 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 ever a problem. But in the build-up, always yeah. a problem. Strange.
0: Oh, yeah. So Mike Tyson would say though, because he as he's as he's approaching the ring, he's scared to death. He's having nightmares leading up to the fight. It's he's oh he's so scared. He's in the locker room. He's trying not to throw up. He's walking outside. The the crowd's fucking cheering. <laughs> and he gets closer and closer, and the lights are blinding. He's like, what am I doing? I I just want to run he goes, and then I step into the ring and I'm a god. And I always get goosebumps when I hear that. He goes, as soon as I step in, because goes, the fight's over. It hasn't even started yet, but it's over. I won. Yeah, that's, I mean, that is how I feel sometimes. It's like, like, I I get nervous, I'm nervous, and then as soon as I start going, I'm just like, you're in my fucking arena now. Like, this is my house. And then it's so weird think hearing me talk about this because the guest is, what are you talking about? This is just a podcast. I'm like, you ready to fucking die? It's like, like what? What? I thought we were gonna talk about my book. You're in my house. Relax, dude. This is this is not a boxing ring. This is a friendly Zoom conversation. I'm gonna tear you limb from limb. I'm like, dude, what the fuck. <laughs> fucking relax. Jesus Christ in heaven! I thought this was gonna be a. Yeah, maybe I shouldn't be taking that Mike Tyson logic to a podcast. Maybe there's a. Maybe there's a fucking lost in translation. You need to call him out, man. Yeah. Call him out. Yeah, I need to get him on my podcast and be like, You're in my ring. Although I think he has a podcast. So maybe that maybe I maybe he wouldn't be in my arena. Maybe I'd be in his. He's into his Alex Jones stuff. Yeah. His he smokes weed on his podcast, I think. Hotboxing is it? Yeah, hotboxing with Mike Tyson. I think he did an interview with Alex Jones, which is wild. Mike Tyson and Alex Jones. But oh we gotta wrap this one up i got somebody take waiting, it easy waiting my room. friend ed i'll message you right after this i know it's late your time so I'm imagine you're going to bed i'll message you when this is up um let's 100 percent do another episode man that was fun as fuck you're a cool guy i'm glad we met i uh, look forward to our future episodes yeah you too tommy
1: yeah it's been an honor so good luck right. with your next interview and chat soon thank you so much much love ed god bless yeah. thank you so much take care everybody.